This week's podcast brought to you by The Three Flows. The other morning I was getting breakfast ready for three of our kids and uh, just talking about was what we were going to be doing that day. And all of a sudden our eight-year-old out of the blue just said to me, Mom, is Nationwide on our side? has no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane, who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Well, last week after we recorded the podcast, I think that same afternoon... Our son was upstairs, top of the stairs, called for me to come quick, like, Watson, come quick, I need you. Like he was Alexander Graham Bell. So I said, what is it? And he said, just come up here. What is it? There's an animal up here. I think it was Jesse, has, Jesse our dog, Jesse has something in her mouth. And Jesse likes to go in the kids' bedrooms and get their little stuffed animals. So it could have easily been one of their stuffed animals. Alas. Alas, it was not. It was a uh, it was a massive critter, half dead. You said, "Is it alive?" And he said, "No." And then he started freaking out and said, "Yes, yes." And he was standing on the couch like a like a housekeeper in a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Because it started with Jesse has something in her mouth, but then of course Jesse dropped that something out of her mouth. Yes, he was on the couch thinking it was dead, and then realizing. It was not completely dead. <laughs> I was also on the couch downstairs thinking I was dead. And then I had to get up, go upstairs. And there, writhing on the floor, was a bloody vole about, I don't know, eight inches long. Was it bloody or was it just Yes, of course it was. Alive. It had been in the teeth of the dog. And it was, I would say it was one quarter alive. And so I went down and I got the gravel shovel with a thin blade. I cleared all the kids out very self-importantly. Get away. This is man's work. You yelled down to me to open the front door, which is halfway across the house. And I said, no, I'll open the garage door, which is at the bottom of the stairs where you were. So I opened the door and ran away because I wanted no part of seeing this critter. <laughs> which is unbelievable. You you, you fled. I, well, yes. So if this was a test I've, of... What will happen in an emergency? I was in the middle of I was in the middle of making dinner, so I went back to the kitchen <laughs> and let you do your man's work. So I went to scoop up the uh, scoop up the vole, and of course the thin bladed shovel wasn't thinly bladed enough, so I just served to flip it over and about three feet farther down the the wood floor. It was now on its back, and its four paws were sort of scrabbling for purchase in the air. And uh, after a second attempt, I got it on the on the blade of the shovel, and I went running down the stairs, screaming some kind of war cry, something about this beast from the bowels of hell, if I recall. Thomas, our our son, was was howling with laughter and excitement, and uh, I got it out the door, out the garage, flung it into the woods, 
and uh, within 30 seconds, you were demanding that we all sit down well, to hot dinner. And, well, and our son said, who's ready for a meat pie? Well, hold on. Before I demanded we sit down for dinner, I went upstairs with the disinfectant spray and paper towels. And I, our youngest like pointed at all the spots on the floor where the vole had been, got on my hands and knees, spraying this disinfectant spray, cleaning up the vole remnants from the floor. And yeah went down because right you know five minutes prior to that our meat pie had come out of the oven and it was time to eat before heading off to little league so it was not the um most appetizing meal for any of us that is for sure (laughs) Uh, let's be honest the meat pie under ordinary circumstances is not the most appetizing meal for any of us that's not true this was the meat pie my mother used to make with green beans with green beans in it all of our kids like it i loved it as a kid when it's not been preceded by a, a a vole offering, you tend to gobble it up too. This is the second time a vole has come into our house. We've t- we no. talked in a very very early episode of this podcast about the first time when our dog that was a downstairs. Vole that was downstairs, and you took the vole on the shovel. You've gotten better with the shovel because the first time you just kept flinging it to the next spot in the room. That time it probably landed on five or six spots of the floor before you got it out the front door. So there was like five or six splatters that I had to clean at least this time you were able to use the shovel a little bit better but um well this oh, time oh, so gross this time when we sat down to the steaming meat pie <laughs> that I I poked at with my fork and never really ate I don't know if you noticed uh oh I noticed and and then I was able to reconstruct what had just happened and that I had been screaming about a beast from the bowels of hell as I ran through the, at the at through the, the kitchen your, at, at the, the top, top of my voice lungs. well anyway as we sat down to dinner our son did say to me, it looks like Jesse killed more than a vole. She killed your dignity. <laughs> well, I don't know that I'll ever be able to make meat pie again, which is a shame because I don't make it very often. But like I said, it was my mom's recipe. I liked it as a kid. I still, <laughs> until recently, really enjoyed it. The kids liked it, but um, I'll never think of, I'll never be able to make the meat pie again without thinking of that fateful night when Jesse brought in the bowl. <laughs> Nor can you ever make again. What was that? Your uh, another specialty of your mom's, the French toast casserole kind of thing that we had at her house. Oh no, I've never made this. So my mom would make a French toast um, casserole and an egg dish. Most people know who've made these. You make them the night before, you cook them the next day. But she also made what she called a, the Finnish pancake. Finnish pancake. And um, I think you've told this story before too. Where one time she made the Finnish pancake for our family. Went over to her house, and why don't you finish telling the story? <laughs> and I was I was uh, nibbling at mine, as one does politely, when I saw a um, it was a small spider, but it was it was a spider uh, on the underside of my finished pancake. Was it cooked into it, or had it? It was like- sort of cooked onto it, <laughs> and it 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 def- definitely diminished my appetite, and. Your mother saw it and was horrified, but after about 30 seconds, she said, aren't you going to finish your finished pancake? And no, she was serious. Even better. No, didn't she? Like, you threw it away, but then she put another heaping portion on your plate as if your appetite was still strong and you would still want to eat right. the finished pancake. <laughs> 
So uh, from now on, I think of uh, since then I've thought of a Finnish pancake as some kind of a wrestling move or a, a euphemism for like a mafia hit. She uh, served him a Finnish pancake. I um I've never made that since then, and uh, I probably will never again be able to make the meat pie. We talked about uh, how we had to get off to a little league game the night of the meat pie incident. Um, just the other day, I uh, pulled up to watch our eight-year-old's little league game. And I parked the car, and um, where she plays softball, there's a, a bunch of fields there. So there's also lacrosse going on, baseball, a variety of things. I parked the car, I parked the minivan, I get out of it, and a woman comes over to me and said to me, Are you going to stay parked there? I was going to watch the game from my car. Before I realized exactly what she was saying, I said, she said, are you going to park there? I said, yeah, I'm going to stay here. Well, I was going to watch the game from my car. This was It was a beautiful night. We've had a ton of rain here, and this was the first just gorgeous, perfect weather night. And your car was blocking her view. And my car was blocking her view. Because you were parked closer than she was. She Well, she was actually, I think, watching a, a lacrosse game. And I was, I was kind of just beside myself. And because I'm a moron at times, I said to her, do you... Um, I can move my car if you want me to move my car. And she said, no, that's okay. Then when I went over and sat down on the bleachers, it hit me. Did you say, did you say, yes, it is okay because I'm parking somewhere and you're parking somewhere. Right. You're parked and uh, I'm sorry, I'm blocking your view. And and what I should have said to her was, uh, excuse me, what's your name? Because I want to know who the world revolves around. I, I, I The more I just sat there and thought about it, the more annoyed I got. This beautiful, it wasn't a rainy day where I could understand. If it's raining, you might want to sit in your car to be able to watch your kids game. It was beautiful, a gorgeous night. But she wanted to sit in her car to watch her kid play whatever. And uh, I had somehow obstructed her view. It still irks me when I, when I think about the, uh, just the, you know what, the cojones on that woman. Well, people want to watch, in quotation mark, their kid's sports event. They really want to scroll through their phone and um, and listen to their podcast or whatever they're doing in their car. So um, I think you were probably doing her a favor by blocking out the distraction of, of the kids' game. Well, uh, you know, our, our eight-year-old, um, just in the last week, they started this season with the coaches pitching. And just in the last week, they've switched to kid pitch. So the games have gone from lasting like an hour and 15 minutes to lasting the full two hours because eight-year-olds have a very difficult time getting the ball across the plate. Uh, we've talked about this before, you know, so the coaches come on and pitch now. But yeah, I, I was gleefully sitting out watching all this awesome kid pitch um, on this beautiful night. She could have gotten out of her car. We also had a baseball game, and after we had plenty of them, but after one of the games, a coach from the other team presented a I don't know, a 10-year-old girl uh, in front of you in the parking lot and said, do you know who that is? And you always cringe when somebody says that because, of course, she doesn't know who that is. She's 10 years old. and um, But this was a nice curveball to this usual conversation. The coach said, that's Mark Lobo's aunt. <laughs> And he was very serious. Yeah, well, he was from the town where my, my nephew, our nephew, lives. And um, that was a nice change. There was, uh, oh, there's one other Little League story I want to tell. Um, this was also last week, and it was, I was taking our eight-year-old to a Little League game. This time it was away. Where her field is, you park in the parking lot, and right near the parking lot, there's a basketball court. And when I parked, um, there was a guy, I would think, I'm guessing he was in his mid-30s to his mid-40s. He was somewhere in that range. He was shooting 
just by himself on the basketball court. And he did not have a picture perfect jumper. I'll put it that way. And so I said, you would not have married him. I I would not have married him. Exactly. And I said to our eight year old, I said, do you want me to go over and ask that guy if he wants help with his form? (laughs) And she just like turned red. She said, no, please don't. And I desperately wanted to just to see what the reaction would be. Go over and just ask the guy, notice you're shooting jumpers over here. You want me to help you with the form on your jump shot? (laughs) This is the first you've told me that. And as you're saying this, I'm thinking this should be this should be a spinoff of the podcast. This should be a YouTube series where Rebecca Lobo goes to various city parks and offers unsolicited training on people's jump shots. But it would have to be, it, w- it wouldn't be interesting if it was just, you know, some kid out there or even a no, dad. No, kid. It would have to be this particular guy. He, um, well, he, first, he first of all, almost all of them would, would decline and refuse and, and, uh, and think that they had a, a better jump I'm shot. Sure, I'm sure. The beauty was like it wasn't like he was killing time while because he had to get his kid to a, a baseball or softball game early. He clearly was there for the sole purpose of shooting shooting around and good for him. Like I applaud that completely. But yeah, I it, it I did have um, a very strong urge to go over and ask him if he wanted help. Anybody offering unsolicited athletic advice in city parks would be an entertaining series but yes. i think uh, especially a, a woman doing so would be make it just that much better exactly this week i had a freak you're, you're grimacing like am i really going to say this but um no i'm i'm, I'm just waiting for oh. how you're going to tell the story oh, well i was making sandwiches as i do every morning for the kids lunches and i always uh, cut them diagonally with a sawtooth knife and i have to wipe the blade clean because two of them get peanut butter and jelly. One of them gets uh, turkey and mayonnaise. And so as I'm wiping the, I, I clean the uh, blade of the sawtooth knife. Of course, I turn the, the, saw, the saw teeth facing up while what I, while I clean. I use the paper towel to clean the. Um, because a sponge or a thick dish towel. Uh, I'm, cutting another, I'm cutting another sandwich after this. I'm not, okay. I'm not putting it, returning it to the, to the butcher block. But this time, when I, when I, when I uh, clean the, the knife with the paper towel, I had these saw teeth facing down, and so I, I just filleted off a, a, a piece of my fingertip. And I was thinking this week, as I've, I mean, this thing's not going to heal anytime soon. It's a, it's um, probably requires medical attention, which I'm not going to get. But then, in another freak domestic accident, which wasn't freak at all, it, it happens to me frequently. I was getting an iron. We keep we have a, a shelf in our closet that's out of my reach. Truly, I, can, I can grab stuff on it if I'm on my tiptoes. Well, I can grab stuff off of my tiptoes unless it's the iron. The iron sits on the top shelf, I don't know why, with just a little bit of the cord dangling. And so I reach up and I grab the cord and I pull the iron off the shelf. And then I watch it as if in a Warner Brothers cartoon. I watch the iron like an Acme anvil coming down onto my head. And you have to then catch it. I'm because I'm pulling the cord with my right hand. I have to catch the falling iron with my left hand. Sometimes I catch it well, and sometimes I catch See, it less I had, well. I had no idea this is how you got the iron. Because if I go on my tiptoes, I can grab the iron by the handle. Or we also, what, three feet away, have a little step stool that you could step on. Neither to of those. Get the neither iron. of those options is. I is, cannot is believe fun or or right kind as of you're saying this though. I cannot believe that that's how you get the iron. And now that I know, if you ever get injured while getting the iron that way, it'll be very hard for me to give you sympathy. Can I um Well, I I just think while while I'm bringing this up, if our listeners have uh have had their own freak domestic household chore accidents. Right. Cutting sandwiches, 
uh, retrieving the iron, let us know. Can I tell you my version of you cutting your hand? And, and I'm sure you'll think less of me and maybe even love me a little less after I do. Uh, if you insist, okay. sure. So I, but I mean, the, I just want to say the version I just told is is the version that happened. No, but I, I'm interested to hear what your version Th- is. This is my version. Uh, it's 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 the same story, but just from told from different eyes. Well, this is like a, a Rashomon perspective. Like if yes. anybody's ever watched the show The Affair, that's on Showtime, where they tell the story from different perspectives. It'll be the gist of the story will be the same. It'll just be from different eyes. So I was in the basement doing some exercise. And I must have... As, as is your want every morning, seven days a week, 365 days a year, while others are getting anyway, ready for school and preparing sandwiches. Anyway, I was running a little bit later than usual, but I, I always want to make sure that I say goodbye to our oldest daughter before you leave to take her to school. So I in the, I like paused my exercise video and I went upstairs, said, you know, told her have a good day. And then that's right when you sliced your finger. And so... Of course, because I'm a sympathetic wife, I went and I got, you know, the bacitracin down and I helped take care of your wound. I, Florence Nightingale. I, I, I was very Florence Nightingale. I'm um, sorry, Florence Henderson, Mrs. Brady, but go ahead. <laughs> a combination of the two. And um, as I was doing that and after I finished that up, I looked at my watch and said, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have time now to finish my workout since I had to close Steve's wound but I ended up being able to come down and, and have so you time. resented my uh... Uh, not completely just I didn't resent it that's not quite the right word but I was you know half you were put um, out h- half <laughs> you were inconvenienced I, I, yes I, at the time I felt both bad for you but also inconvenienced like this buffoon I nearly amputated my index finger slice his finger because he's drying off the blade with a paper towel instead of using something a little more substantial <laughs> I, I nearly amputated my finger with a with a civil war doctor saw and if you and 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 got peanut butter jelly and mayonnaise into the open festering wound but but that i cleaned that all out. I, cl- I cleaned that all out but i'm just saying now that i know you were, you were and you did it quickly no i did and, you were a combination well. of florence henderson florence nightingale and florence griffith joiner <laughs> i was the three flows but now that I know how you get the iron out of the closet, if you ever have an iron injury, um, I'm, I don't know that I will pause my workout. <laughs> It'll be sort of your fault. Right. Well, as I, as I lie, lie there unconscious on the closet floor with an iron-shaped wound on my forehead, right. um, you'll say he had it coming I'm, to him. <laughs> I might. <laughs> You know, we talked last week. I've been listening to a lot of music in the car. I've put 10,000 miles on the car in the first five months of this year, so I do a lot of uh, listening. In fact, I was listening to music last night before the kids had a spring concert. Fantastic. Recorder concert. School choir. Each school band. School the band. Oh, it was great. Band, it's, it's the, the best. As they call it, the advanced band. Right, but as we were warming up for that, the pre the pregame for that, at home, people were getting dressed. I was cranking, which I never do. I, I think you can agree, I never crank music in our house, but I was last night at six o'clock. And you said, and I quote, I like the Beastie Boys, but one song at a time. <laughs> I think anyone. I mean, am I not entitled once in, our, in, in the 16, 17 roughly years of marriage that we've had to 
crank my own music I, no, I, on occasion. You, you had this, this portable speaker in the bedroom, and um, as you were getting ready, you were cranking. Which album was that? Which Beastie Boy album was, it was that? Just, it was just a, a Beastie Boy's uh, on on Spotify, so okay. I was shuffling through things. And I, I really do like the Beastie Boys a lot. But I realized as I was getting ready after, you know, maybe 25 or 30 minutes of, of Spotify's recycling of the Beastie Boys that um, I do prefer them in smaller doses. I really like them, but in smaller doses, like just they have a certain sound that's hard to listen to. That's what, that's that's why you love them. Forty straight minutes. No, it's they're, just their their signature sound that's hard to listen to is what no, you what you so enjoy about no, them. No, I I do like them. I I, I think I w- maybe I, I didn't articulate it well. I would prefer them to be shuffled within a playlist mm. that also included other music. And and you appreciate Adam Horowitz being at a Liberty game, one hundred sitting with us. Yes. While you were working, I was sitting. He was, that was when our oldest daughter was him. an yeah. infant. And he, he was very was like, nice to her, yeah. Yeah, and no, and, and, and I wanted this to come across that I'm not a fan no, of, of Beastie not. Boys no, because uh, I nobody's am. Nobody's suggesting that, right. But I know who you are a fan of, musically. Who's that? Well, it, you tell me, because the other day you suggested, uh, as I was driving our oldest daughter to high school, that uh, I play that song by, and this is a quote, play that song by whoever and what's-his-face. Play that song... <laughs> That song that you love by whoever and what's his face. Well, and for the past week, I've been trying to think: was it Hall and Oates? Is there, it? Is it? Is it England <laughs> Dan and John Ford Coley? There are times when I know exactly what I want to say, but my brain isn't communicating well with my mouth, so that I can articulate exactly what I want to say. And actually, whoever and what's his face, I only know, know the name of whoever. I still don't know the name of what's his face, and whoever was Billy Ray Cyrus. And it's the song um, "Old Town oh, Road" Old Town remix. Road. Okay. So, so he's whoever. I, I still don't know who what's his face. Is. Why isn't Why isn't Billy Ray Cyrus what's his face? I don't know, but there, I I only know one of the whoever. Okay, fair what's enough. His face. Fair enough. I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Head is matted black. Got the bushes black to match. Our daughter did not play the song by whoever and what's his face. In fact, she was. Um, Shuffling songs by Elton John, and last week on the podcast we talked about um, the most, to me, the most ridiculous Elton John lyric, written, of course, by Bernie Taupin, "Back to the Howlin' Old Owl in the Woods, Hunting the Horny Back Toad." Mm-hmm. But uh, there are so many of them that uh, I regretted that we didn't devote an entire segment to the the most uh, ridiculous lyrics of the Elton John Bernie Taupin collaboration um i'm specifically referring to uh mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids mm-hmm. in fact it's cold as hell and mm-hmm. there's no one there to raise them if you did yeah you mentioned this yeah. Make, makes no sense right but but uh, not that they need to make sense of course lyrics are often better when they don't make sense but here's the question that i've always had okay levon the great song levon levon likes his money right he sends his kids to the finest schools in town so we know he's got some money right he makes a lot, they say. His family business thrives, right? We know all this about Levon. What is that family business that has earned him this great fortune? What is it? Levon sells cartoon balloons in town, <laughs> right? His son Jesus sits on the porch swing watching them fly, right? Blows up balloons all day. Does this sound like a plausible uh, concept that, that uh, they've made millions from cartoon balloons sold in town? I, I, I simply don't know the cartoon balloon business. 
perhaps they have. I, I mean, after the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, how many of these things are going to sell? The most, the most uh, intriguing part of that song, though, is um, Alvin Tostig. Alvin Tostig has a son today, and he shall be Levon. Who is Alvin Tostig? It's the character in the song, obviously, but uh, it raises more questions than it answers, I think. The, the other day I was in the kitchen and uh, listening to music. I said to our oldest daughter, I said, uh, can you play an Elton John song that you think has ridiculous lyrics? And uh, she chose Daniel. Daniel's song? Is that an Elton John song? No, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is traveling tonight on the oh, plane. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I can see the red taillights yeah. heading for Spain. Yeah, so that's the one she chose. So that that's the one she really, thinks has uh, the... Uh, that one has the least inane lyrics. Daniel well, is tra- I can see the red taillights heading for Spain. Well, I can see Daniel waving goodbye. I can see the red That's the one she chose. This, this makes me think a couple days ago, I was listening to music in the kitchen because um, I was doing work where I could actually listen to music and uh, it, while I was working. And all of a sudden, you sat down at the piano and started playing the piano really, really loudly. Really, really well, did you say? Really, really oh, well loudly. and really loudly, drowning out the music. And that's not something you normally do. So I was sitting there thinking, and I think I may have said out loud, but on, in a mumble, like, is he kidding? Because I could no longer hear my music because you were playing the piano so loudly. And so finally, I just turned the music off. And uh, I think at some point, there might have been a knock at the door. So I I went and dealt with that. When I came back in (laughs) the living room, I see you sitting at the piano, um, which is an electric piano with your headphones on, your Bose headphones. In electric boots and a mohair suit. (laughs) Playing really loudly. So I finally went over and I said, are you wearing those to cancel my noise while you blare, blare the piano? Well, no, of course. You thought you had your headphones plugged into the piano. Indeed, you did not. So instead, you were wearing headphones to muffle the sounds of your piano while your loud piano made it so I couldn't hear my music. It was just like this unbelievable scene from a bad movie and something that that if I was watching the movie, I'd say that wouldn't happen in real life. Well, <laughs> being married to you, that happened in real life. At least that was a mistake. You will sit down in front of the TV with your iPad and watch with the volume on and no headphones a show that only you can see or only you and our youngest daughter can see some Australian cooking show while the rest of us are trying to watch, say, the Warriors Blazers. And the only- there's no apology there. So, So I have to go to a different room. No, see, the only when you're the only one with the portable TV. The only reason I don't mind doing that is because I'll have said, I'll have said before going in the room, and our our daughter will have asked, "Can we watch Zumbo's Just Desserts tonight?" That's what we've been watching together. Zumbo's Just Desserts. It's a uh, fun show on Netflix, a cooking show. All I hear is is crazy Australian accents, and then and then and then Australian branded. uh, Arnott's Tim Tam cookies come washing up to our door in boxes. You're now ordering. I assume expensive food imported from Australia. Anyway, so we'll say that, and then we'll go in, and all of a sudden you'll turn the TV on after we've already sort of claimed the territory of the living room. And so I feel like, all right, well, if we've already said we're going to be in here, and you still insist on watching the basketball game, then I'm just going to have, you know, have to turn my volume up a little bit louder. But we, I'm sure there's a way for us to to solve that problem in the future, maybe by communicating 
so that me and our, our eight-year-old can watch our Zumbo's Just Desserts in a different room. My eight-year-old and I. Me and my eight-year-old. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking as if it's an Elton John lyric. <laughs> well, good. That's, that would be appropriate because you wouldn't say, My Shadow and I, that great hit song. Right. But people don't even remember the song, Me and My Shadow, presumably. Oh, they must. Well, it's been a while. Should we open up the old curiosity shop? Yes, please open Denny's old curiosity shop. When the spawn meets way. Denny, you know, sends us a few questions, often of a topical nature, usually five minutes after we've finished recording the podcast, so that we don't ever read them. And we're recording kind of early today, so good timing by Denny. Hi, guys. Rebecca writes Denny with one N. Uh, We had Brittany Griner on SiriusXM NBA Radio on Monday ahead of the start of the WNBA season. She told us she has been trying to add three-pointer and perimeter defense to her game this season. Do you think teams will concentrate on playing even more on the perimeter this year and and is following the attractive brand of Golden State-esque basketball a path to the W getting even more attention on the general sports landscape? Your thoughts? Well, basketball has gone the way of... uh you know, positionless basketball, more three-point shots. And as the NBA has gone that way, the the WNBA has followed suit in a lot of instances, except that some of the best players in the WNBA have remained back-to-the-basket post players. Brittany Griner had an MVP kind of season a year ago. Um, Sylvia Fowles was the MVP two seasons ago. Um, there are still Elizabeth Cambage, another uh, player who was second in MVP voting last season. So um, there are still very talented, big, back-to-the-basket, um, dominant post players in the WNBA game. That being said, um, you know, a lot of teams, Washington, which is one of the favorites to win the WNBA championship this year, is a team that is very close to being positionless. They have Elena Deladon, uh, Emma Misamin, post players who can face up and, and play on the perimeter. So, um, yes, uh, WNBA tends to follow the lead of the NBA, but at the same time, we have our dominant as, as does everything. You coached youth basketball this past weekend. Is even at the fifth grade level, are they kids? I know everybody wants to shoot the three, whether they're a big or whether they can shoot or not. Uh, is coaching following suit and trying to move kids uh, out and well, away from the basket? Well, you see it a ton in, in youth basketball is that people love to play read and react. Um, the good thing is kids learn how to pass and cut. The bad thing is they don't learn how to set good screens or certainly don't learn how to um, do any kind of pick and roll or therefore don't learn how to defend those things. So, um, there's I, some... I, I fear some of our listeners who don't watch nine hours of basketball a day on their iPad while their husbands are removing voles from the loft may not know what read and react is. So read you and react that? is when it's kind of all five players are out facing the basket. There might be one inside and players pass and cut and pass and cut but don't really set a lot of screens. Um, and so it's you're just hoping at some point your defender falls asleep and you get a give and go um, and a layup as a result. So read and react has some very good things to it, passing and cutting being those good things. The problem is kids also have to learn how to run set plays. They also have to learn how to, like I said, set on-ball screen, even more importantly, set screens off the ball. So there's a lot that it happens in youth basketball. But yes, you see a ton of five players out facing the basket, kind of like you do in the NBA. 
Uh, digging back into Denny's Curiosity Shop here. Coca-Cola announced they will be selling a limited supply of new Coke as a promotional campaign for the new season of Stranger Things. I just read about this today. Stranger Things is a new season set in 1985 when new Coke uh, briefly had its brief uh, but spectacular existence. What failed fads, Denny asks, would you like to see make a comeback? For me, I don't know if it's a failed fad. It certainly was a fad when I was in high school, maybe middle school. And that was, I was never happier. It occurs to me now, I was never happier in life. It may have been the uh, the high renaissance of my life than when I was wearing a brand new pair of Oshkosh Bagash bib overalls. Crisp blue denim overalls uh, with, you know, bib overalls. So I, for me, it would be that. Well, we got our... And, 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 and I... I I would wear a shirt under the bib overalls, unlike the gang from Dexy's Midnight Runners. We, we, I, I got our um, our twelve year old a pair of bib overalls last year. They were just sort of the two thousand and eighteen version because the 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 jean part, the legs had you know the holes in them because that's how kids wore their jeans a year ago. Probably still do now. What I would like to see come back, and. Uh, this goes back to when I was in middle school, and maybe they have come back, and I just didn't notice. Do you remember parachute pants? Of course. With all the zippers. It was like the pre- precursor to cargo pants, because cargo pants, you could actually fit things in the pockets, where parachute pants were a little bit on the tighter side. So while the zippers opened and closed, you couldn't really fit anything bigger than a credit card in them. But I would like to see the parachute pants make a return. And also, of course, crisscross. You can talk about bib overalls. I just remember the group crisscross when they would wear their bib overalls backwards or their whole thing was to wear their clothes backwards um, that would be an interesting fad to see return as well finally Denny writes with game of thrones wrapping up last sunday steve i was wondering if you could offer some insight into how someone maps out and writes a multiple book series with an overarching narrative whether through your own experience or through people you worked with that's all i got have a great week denny um i would say two things on this point no i have no insight into that um one it would it would it implies that I talk to other authors or other writers or other human beings, and I don't. There's a, uh, uh, I think people think that writers or plumbers or dentists hang out with each other. I, I know plenty of other writers. I, I don't see them. I don't talk to them. Uh, I have almost no interaction with them because I'm stuck here in the middle of nowhere um, with no central you know, clubhouse hangout place where other writers congregate. So uh, I don't see, for instance, George R.R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones fame, um, you know, at my local coffee shop. Because this, you are, quote, stuck here in the middle of nowhere. Did, did I? I didn't. <laughs> I, you, a shrink could have a field day with that sentence alone. You are stuck here in the middle of nowhere trying to put a vole on a shovel before you eat your meat. That Bye. is my favorite Elton John, Bernie Toppin <laughs> lyric right there. Stuck here in the middle of nowhere, trying to put a vole on a shovel before I eat my meat pie. <laughs> and the second part of that is... Oh, there's more. There's more, yes. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes a, a, a blowhard, a blowhard uh, reporter will ask like a three-part question or a two-part question. Oh, I, I've, I've had my fair share of conversations with a blowhard. <laughs> Continue, please. Well, I, I'm, I'm giving a, a blowhard answer that's in two parts. The second part of that answer is enough already with the Game of Thrones, okay? I know it's over. I watched some of it. I enjoyed some of it. 
I watched the first season. I watched bits and pieces of the final season. Could we could we move on as a society from Game of Thrones? Why didn't they just have the the series finale two days ago? There's still stories in 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 the New York Times. It's kind been of two days breaking like a, it down. A, a huge cultural phenomenon. I have not watched a single episode of Game of Thrones, but it was a huge uh, cultural phenomenon that somebody uh, tweeted yesterday. The finale, which drew a gigantic number on HBO of 13.7 million people, would have been the 71st rated uh, live NFL game of last season. So it's a huge cultural phenomenon on social media and among people who love Game of Thrones that has largely been missed by the vast majority of the general public. Let's get to viewer mail, shall we? Big bad look, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. This one comes in from Noah in Tacoma, Washington. He writes to aballandchainpod at gmail.com. Here are a couple of cringeworthy corporatisms that my wife recently shared with me. We have talked in recent podcasts about the horrible business buzzwords and phrases that make you cringe. Uh, Noah writes, uh, Noah's wife has heard... Put it in the parking lot. It refers to a topic that will need to be set aside and returned to at a later date. Can we put that in the parking lot? Come on, that's not a real one. It's a real one. According to in Tacoma, Washington uh, uh, business circles, you might hear that. Another one. Who's who in the zoo? (laughs) Is that a way of saying people need to introduce themselves in the room? You very close. A phrase used at the beginning of a conference call when the participants are required to introduce themselves. Very good. See, you're thinking like a who's corporate foot who soldier now. Who's who in the zoo? Who's who in the zoo? Good heavens. Okay. Uh, I, I would respond by hanging up, making <laughs> making one less uh, critter. You in wouldn't the say menagerie. The, whatever you would be. The, I, I'd be the giraffe is here. I would then, say uh, your corporate menagerie has just lost one of its. Critters, <laughs> and then they would all talk about what a what a dink I am when they get when I when I got off the phone. Uh, Dear Rebecca and Steve, writes Bob, I did the homework you assigned to compare and contrast the South and the North regarding mass duration and participation. Regarding Rebecca, what mass, mass Catholic mass, mass duration? Okay, the duration and the participation at mass in the North and the South. Okay, I gotcha. Mass at my home church in Huntersville, North Carolina, consistently goes an hour and 15 minutes. Mm. Part of that length is due to the priests giving time to observe every detail. For example, they often have a brief pause between every word of the consecration. This is my body. I used to grumble at the delay, but then came to realize the reverence for this most solemn part of the Mass. I don't think you share that that uh, reverence because you've, you have commented before on the the uh, lethargic, shall we say, speech pattern of some of some uh, celebrants. As for participation, a majority of people sing the parts that occur at each Mass, such as the Gloria and Holy, Holy, Holy. Very few seem to sing during the processional and recessional, which change each week. Now, I, I know we're seldom singing at the recessional because we are recessing at the recessional. Correct. We're singing on the way out. But last night at the school concert, Two of our three kids, they, they each grade has to sing a song. And our youngest, of course, was belting it out with the rest of her classmates. Our fifth grader was not even moving his mouth. And the seventh grader was at least doing her best to lip sync. Yeah, that's that's the thing. As, as you watch a, a school concert where it goes K through 8 is 
kindergarten up through probably fourth grade. No self-consciousness yeah, just, in those lower just grades. Yeah, just singing as loudly as they can. And then fifth grade starts getting a little weird. And then after that, you've got the kids who are in chorus who are willing to sing. And then the rest of them are doing their best lip syncing. Dear Rebecca and Steve, after your last episode, it occurred to me that you need a resident sign language interpreter. I'm available for the job. You never know when it might come in handy. I happen to share the city of Colorado Springs with USA Basketball. So if Rebecca is ever here and in need of an interpreter, I'm available. Rebecca, if you ever need sign language uh, in Colorado Springs. I know who to call. Thank call you. Call Kathy. She accepts ball and chain swag as a retainer for her services. P.S. As a P.S.A. As a candidate for your resident sign language interpreter, I f- and she's got the job, clearly, I feel my first job duty is to let you know that hard of hearing or deaf is preferred is the preferred term rather than hearing impaired. So thank you for that, Kathy. Oh, yeah, hard of thank hearing. Thank you. I did not know that. Or deaf. Dear Stephen and Rebecca, greetings from Santo Domingo. I mean, ah. We love hearing from Santo Domingo. We do love hearing from Santo Domingo. I wonder if this is the same uh, listener in Santo Domingo as our other listener in Santo Domingo. I'm assuming we only have one listener in Santo You're Domingo. You're correct. I hope this finds you well. The latest podcast's leitmotif of singing at mass and general musicality reminded me of how prevalent music is down here, down here in the Dominican Republic. It is everywhere, but no place more so than in Uber cars. Each trip is loudly soundtracked by merengue, salsa, or bachata, with the music usually being played at spinal tap levels of 11. And while my Spanish remains too poor to comprehend or share my uber confessions, I can safely say that the Dominican music certainly and most deaf, definitely, D-E-A-F, mm-hmm. sweetens each ride. Enjoy the day, Michael. I uh, have been in an uber. I believe it was in the Pacific Northwest. I think I was in Seattle when I got in the Uber, where they not only were pumping the music, but in this person's car, they had lights like around the floor that would change color, and um, the colors would change to the beat of the thumping music in um, in my Uber. So maybe he'll have the chance to experience that while riding around uh, the Dominican Republic. Or maybe he won't have the, the chance because Uber announced this past week, Uber Quiet where you can now request the Uber driver shut his or her yap on the drive. Or n- or not open their yap in the first place. Right. Well, I think that's the request. But So you can, you can select on the app, I'm told, uh, you want this to be a quiet ride. Or you can, you can select, I'm happy to chat, which seems a bit thirsty, as the kids say. Or you can just leave no preference at all which I think is the only reasonable thing to do. Because right. if, you, if you've told the person who's in whose hands your life will be that you don't want them talking, it seems a little, you know, like the gray Poupon guy in the back of the limousine, doesn't it? It does seem like that, yes. So you won't be selecting. And it would be the end of Uber Confessions. We're hearing from Dr. Gary Siegel. Dr. Gary Siegel writes, I think I mentioned in the previous podcast, my brother Tom eating, what was it? What was he eating while Wasn't his wife delivered? White Castles? I don't think it was White Castle, but it was something... He was eating something while aromatic. His, his wife was And delivering. I, of course, ate Doritos during your one of your deliveries. Dr. Siegel, of course, delivers babies for a Our living. Our resident OBGYN. And, and he can weigh in on the etiquette of this. And he has. I, the, I, I have high hopes. Based on previous communications from Dr. Siegel, I have high hopes for what he's going to well, write here. Well, let's see. 
As the podcast's official obstetrician gynecologist, the topic of eating during labor did pique my interest, both personally as a clueless husband and professionally as well. Steve, you wondered if you could eat in a labor room, and also you kindly offered waiting room visitors, perhaps that was the terminology you were seeking last week, the opportunity to photograph a hospital-gowned laboring Rebecca. Please allow me to expand on these two issues. Please expand, Dr. Siegel, on my expansion. (laughs) Allowing a visitor in the maternity waiting room to photograph laboring Rebecca was kind-hearted, but, alas, clueless. (laughs) It was was a bit worse since the visitor was also a total stranger, as opposed to, say, a family member. Either way, no glamour shots during labor, ever. (laughs) So... There you have. There you have. We should have like a courtroom show, like the People's Court, with Dr. Gary Siegel as a judge. Uh, Don't you think? We weighs in on these sort of uh, delivery room uh, etiquette. To segue to the food topic, a bit of definition is needed, writes Dr. Siegel. There are labor rooms, delivery rooms for vaginal deliveries, and operating rooms for cesarean deliveries. That floor plan design is the traditional one. Is the traditional one, and certainly still exists in some hospitals. More modern units include LDR rooms in which a woman can labor, deliver, and recover, or LDRP rooms in which the expectant mother can labor, deliver, recover, and stay after birth for one or two overnights. You can eat in the labor room, an LDR room, and an LDRP room when appropriate. However, take it from me, when your parents return from dinner to the waiting room and bring you delicious fried chicken from Po Folks, for you to eat in the labor room alongside your first-time laboring wife, that is not a good idea. I think that both your sister-in-law, Jill, and Rebecca, along with Mrs. Dr. Gary Siegel, all have strong and valid feelings about this topic, regardless of whether the offending food is unnamed, fried, or in a bag like Doritos. All the best from your humble Southern correspondent, Gary with two so R's. So it certainly sounds like many men feel that their, their desire to eat is, can always come before everything, including their laboring wife's desire to not smell the food. So I think I think I come off relatively well since I had Doritos and he was having fried chicken from Po folks. And Tom was having some some food that we forget. Yes, you should feel good that you're in company with your brother Tom and Dr. Gary Siegel. Well, let's say it was White Castle because this comes in from uh, Dan in Columbus, Ohio. Um, who, who you, you may remember previously our, our podcast had called him on his car, on his, uh, through his car speaker system. Alas, yes. this week's podcast was not successful in calling him on his car microphone. Separately, Dan asked, did you know that the corporate headquarters of White Castle is in Columbus? I did know that. We've Co- got to get to Columbus because that means I was just White Castle say- and the Whistle Company. And, and George, our monocle our and dealer. croaky... Uh, we, can, we could visit his monocle and croaky emporium. Yes. Or his dealership, I should say. Uh, the company moved here from Wichita in 1934 and has deep roots, roots in the community. The link below has a photo of the building's unique exterior, as well as photos of memorabilia from the company's long history. He includes a link to burgerbeast.com. And uh, there's a picture of corporate headquarters. We have to visit there. Not only do we have to visit there, we have to make sure that the corporate headquarters of White Castle sells your book that comes out in August... Knights in White Castle. I mean, the, actually, there probably are more than just your book that has their corporate name in its in its title, but none that are as well written as yours. There, there, there are. There, I have the White Castle book, um, the book about the history of White Castle, and uh, I wish I could recall its name off the top of my head, but it's it's uh, fascinating. Maybe maybe when we 
talk about our ball and chain book club, we could uh, I can recommend that. In fact, speaking of that, uh, dear Stephen Rebecca writes uh, Annie in Iowa, our official ball and chain bookseller. Uh, she's been recommending Stingray Afternoons at her at her bookstore and sold a couple the other day. I posted a picture of SA on our on our staff recommendations bay to my Instagram account at Reading Miss, but I think the only person who saw it was my husband. I sold another copy later that afternoon to a customer who was going into the hospital and wanted something happy. And of course, I always mentioned I always mentioned the podcast. Um, have we sent her swag because she's selling books we have, left we have. and right? I she says sure thanks for the. That. She signs off with thanks for the swag. Okay. But so my fun and happy summer reading list starts with she says Stingray Afternoons, because if you haven't read it, you should. Two, the life and times of the Th- of the Thunderbolt Kid by Bill Bryson. You already know and love this, Steve, but maybe some others out there haven't read Bryson yet. This is my favorite of his books. Followed a close second. Followed a close second by A Walk in the Woods. Great book, terrible movie. Sorry, Robert Redford. Number three, Lake of the Ozarks, My Surreal Summers in a Vanishing America by Bill Geist. This is brand new and getting great reviews. And finally, My Family and Other Hazards, a memoir by June Melby. Melby's parents were both teachers, and for summer income, they bought and ran a Tom Thumb miniature golf course in a Wisconsin lake town. Unfortunately, this book is out of print, but used copies are available on the interwebs. I read a memoir recently called Educated by a woman named Tara Westover, whose family whose parents forbade her to go to school. This was in Idaho. And, uh, and so after high school, she, she took the SAT anyway, self-taught, scored poorly on it, took it again, scored well on it, ended up going to BYU and on to uh, Cambridge and Harvard. So I would say it worked out well. The book was also you, a runaway bestseller. You were telling me about that book. Bestseller. You said you've really enjoyed it. Well, I'm not sure enjoy is the right word. It was, uh, it was, it was a... Uh, maybe fascinating, interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, but it was bleak and uh, not a lot of laughs. But interesting. Very interesting and, and very well written. Labor. I probably should have used this immediately following Dr. Gary Siegel. Uh, Jeff writes... Your recent story about being in labor reminded, I assume she's referring to you, he's referring to you because I was never in labor, reminded me of our own story. I was prepping a big commercial shoot for some pizza chain and my wife called to say her water had broken. It was a month early. At the hospital, in between contractions, I was still prepping the shoot with a phone in each ear until she finally asked, but wasn't really asking, me to stop. Naturally, I did. A few years later, our second son came two months early. I was in L.A. on another shoot but made it home to Oakland in time for, for the birth. Unfortunately, I missed shooting with Bubba Smith, Dick Butkus, and Bob Euchre. What a hardship. I assume, Jeff, you were shooting a Miller Lite commercial. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of any other commercial in which those three gentlemen appeared in the same commercial. But so did, I wonder if he named his child Bubba or uh, Dick or Butkus. I, I, all three of those would, would have been perfect. But I hope, Jeff, you will write back and tell us if this was a Miller Lite commercial with all due respect to your wife and and the birth of your children, who are now have now graduated from college, uh, you're bearing the lead. I want to hear more about the Miller Lite All Stars. We don't use hard stop or full stop in our business, Jeff writes. But sometimes when we shoot with a celebrity, that celebrity will have a hard out. The crew loves that because it means whoever whoever it is cannot stay late, and no matter what, we have to be finished by the hard out time. Rebecca, sometimes you go to places and tell them you have a hard out. Usually, you come to our house and tell us you have a hard out, and you have to be out of here at three thirty. Yeah, I never use that phrase. Although, I, in the spirit of what he's talking about, when we're at ESPN, sometimes in studio we will tape things, and I can't stand taping things versus doing them live. And this is the reason. If the director doesn't get the exact shot he wants or if something isn't quite perfect, 
we'll have to restart or do it again or do it again. When, when things are live, obviously you can only do it once and you have to just work through whatever mistakes are made. I much prefer that than, than I think people, when, when you're taping something, they feel like they have a safety net and that you can do it over and over and over. But this would be a good way to bring up again a text that you got from your brother recently because he was listening to the podcast. He's about a week or two behind and he was not at all happy with um, a couple weeks ago when we confused hard stop with... Well, we didn't. I, I didn't. You know hard I stop. Did. I'm not I on did. these inane business Was it meetings. hard stop with full stop? Was that the was that the issue that we had? Because it's it's come up again. He wrote to me, OMG, I had to... Because he, he listens while he's running around the lake. OMG, I had to pull the phone out of my pocket while biking. I'm sorry, while biking. Hard stop is not that at all. It means at 3 o'clock you're done. Can't go further. Another meeting to attend. 3 o'clock is my hard stop. I assume I will later hear that this has been corrected by a million people, but I couldn't take it anymore. So he had to text us last night while he was biking. He had to stop biking, take the phone out of his pocket, because I had confused in that podcast hard stop with full stop. So sorry about that again. A Gale with a Y is a longtime fan of Rebecca's, not of mine, and just recently became aware of this podcast. Absolutely love the guffaw-inducing banter. Uh, in doing a deep dive of back episodes, I was horrified that Rebecca uses only four passwords across all of her online accounts. Please, please, please tell me this is no longer the case. I'm concerned for her internet safety. Well, Gail, I can tell you before Rebecca gets into it that this has changed uh, because her internet safety was compromised. And uh, and everything, it seems like, has been hacked. Every week I'm dealing with a new uh, account that has been hacked. So, yes, I'm changing accounts, changing passwords, changing lots and lots of things related to uh, Internet and security. And finally, uh, we had uh, a viewer mail, I think, last week from a woman who suffered many catastrophes of the sort that I described, pulling the iron down on your head, um, uh, cutting your fingertip off with a sawtooth knife. I can't remember what exactly. Oh, she Can was falling. Just she was falling. You're a slightly lot. exaggerating. You 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 sliced your finger. It's now healing. You did not cut anything off. You sliced it, but nothing has been removed from your finger. No, but when you spend your day uh, typing on a keyboard and and playing piano badly, this doesn't this doesn't help. That that's just making people who are out there with really back breaking. Doing backbreaking labor have a lot of sympathy for you. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Says the woman who's doing a lot of backbreaking labor. I, well, but I'm not claiming to be. No. After you are doing cutting labor. my finger, typing, and playing the piano, please continue. <laughs> I mean, you you married this this wuss who, who I and I'm the fortunate one, and that's why I'm trying to save you from yourself. Well. Continue, please. Lastly, John with no H, and he signs his name, John with no H. Uh, Ignoring the constant admonitions of my mother not to lean back in chairs, I did so in my Algebra 2 class in high school while Mr. Jordan droned on about things I had little interest in. I, of course, then proceeded to topple over backwards, much to the amusement of my classmates and the anger of Mr. Jordan. Did you ever do that in school, by the way? I, I just, this is a recovered memory now. Kids did that all the time. They would lean back in the chair and then they would fall back and everybody would laugh and point at them. And then I, they would either cry or stifle tears, and never, then the teacher would get mad at them. Right. That never happened to me. I do remember this was maybe 10 years ago in Bristol. We had a WNBA meeting. It was uh, all of the on-air people, and um, one of our play-by-play announcers was leaning back in his chair, and uh, there was probably 15 of us around this long table he, leaning back in his chair until he finally went all the way over and fell. 
And I just looked around. And once he started to get up and realized he was okay, I couldn't help it. I just started laughing. <laughs> and I immediately said, I said, I'm sorry, but that visual was pretty entertaining. <laughs> so even now as a grown adult, I still have the same physical reaction to seeing that as I did when I was in high school. And that's to laugh. Of well, course, that's what you do. Funny you should say that because John with no H goes on. Not many years later, I managed to repeat myself while working at my first job out of college at the Travelers. Sitting in a row of employees on an office chair on wheels, I used to roll over. To, I used to roll over to my closest colleague from time to time to discuss work and other things. One I'm fine sure day, it was more other things yeah, than work. But one fine day, I pushed off to roll over to him, and the wheels locked, and over I went once again. The woman who would eventually be my wife witnessed that particular debacle, but married me anyway. <laughs> I wonder if she ran out, ran over and played Florence Nightingale. Or Florence Henderson Griffith Joyner. Maybe. There was a short discussion on last week's show, uh, adds John, on lawnmowers. If at all possible, people should buy rechargeable battery-powered mowers such as mine. Such as his. I certainly don't have one. According to the EPA, a gas-powered mower emits as much pollution as 11 cars being driven for an hour. In addition, over 17 million gallons of fuel are spilled each year while refueling lawn equipment, more than all the oil spilled by the Exxon Valdez. It gets into the groundwater and some evaporated into the air, causing additional pollution. The battery-powered ones are also somewhat quieter, thus reducing noise pollution. Perhaps I should be your resident eco-warrior, John with no H. John with no H, you've got the title of resident eco-warrior. And I should say, another one of the books I read recently was called The Uninhabitable Earth, by David Wallace Wells. It's a it's a uh, very frightening look into our future around 2080, 2100. Uh, um, this on, is a book you told me I need to read. And, and, uh, and, and the fact that, you know, when he talks about the 17 million gallons of fuel spilled each year, all that, the, the, the sort of one f- sentence that sticks out uh, from that book in millions of others was the mining of Bitcoin, the mining of Bitcoin, uh, uses more energy in a year than a year of a year of transatlantic flights of all the transatlantic flights in the world or over the Atlantic I guess that would be can we um, throw out a tidbit that um, leaves people on a high note after this podcast please do oh you asking me to throw out no a tidbit? I'm throwing one out oh, well I don't do. know I don't know what this this is a high note but um, you, you may be this overselling is something that it. came in from Twitter from Barb and uh, her question was just simply, to me, and it says, "How did you get Whalen's number? Whalen's number for the Olympics? How did you get Whalen's number for the Olympics?" Somebody said this to you. Somebody said this to me. Somebody sent you a tweet. A tweet asking how, how you, you. How did I get Whalen's number for the Olympics? And I obviously need to clear this up a little bit. I wore number thirteen in the Olympics. Lindsay Whalen num- wore number thirteen in the Olympics. I wore number thirteen in the Olympics in nineteen ninety six. <laughs> Lindsay Whalen wore it in the Olympics for the first time. I don't know. I'm guessing in. 2008. But anyway, number 13 was not a number I chose. I was the youngest member of the Olympic team in 1996. Everyone else chose their numbers. And I was left with the one that was remaining. And that ended up being number 13. So it's uh, it's had a proud tradition, at least since 1996. I'm thrilled that Lindsay Whalen um, continued that tradition by wearing the number that I'm guessing probably was the only one left. Well, this Twitter correspondent, this Twitter correspondent doesn't understand just how old you are. Diana Tarazi does. And uh, <laughs> as Jeff Metcalf tweeted uh, the other day, yesterday, I think, Phoenix Mercury Diana Tarazi said at Media Day, she and Sue Bird are from UConn women's basketball, quote, older era. 
when I asked about Rebecca Lobo, Tarazi replied, she's in that fossil era. <laughs> so perhaps that's the high note we should leave people. Which, and know. I'm just going to throw this in there because I still think Candace Parker last year joined Turner and um, is on some of their telecasts with the NBA crew and does a lot of stuff during the college tournament. She did a really good job this past year. Um, whenever Diana Tarasi retires, Turner, I can just, she would be so perfect to be sitting there with Charles and Kenny or, you know, if ESPN hired her in the same role, she will be amazing on television if she chooses to do it simply because she has zero filter. She doesn't care. She says whatever she thinks. And most of the stuff she thinks is really, really funny, including that I'm a fossil. And on that note, Tom Dick Hari, please play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.